Thanks for listening. The following audio is a teaching from Calvary Tucson's Young Adult Ministry, Ignition. For more teachings, information, or if you'd like to support our ministry, please visit us online at ignitiontucson.com. We pray you're blessed by the message. Verse 7. He says, You be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. So three times in this chapter, he's like, Hey guys, increase, multiply, get busy, please. It's, you know, all of creation is determined on you three individuals populating the earth, propagating the earth. So he's like, be fruitful, multiply, go to work. And he gives us these changes to diet and the added law of capital punishment. Why? In order to help mankind be fruitful and multiply. These are good things that God is giving to Noah. And then God here, in starting in verse 8, gives Noah the official covenant, the Noahic covenant. And it's a beautiful thing. Verse 8. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you. So who, who is the covenant directed at? Noah and Noah's offspring, which, guess what? That means all of humanity. And every living creature as well. This covenant belongs to the, belongs to the animals as well. As many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. Verse 11. He says, I establish my covenant with you, and never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the clouds. Now, notice it didn't say my rainbow. He says it's my bow. So we, we get to the story of Noah and we, auto, we automatically think of rainbows. You get all these images about the rainbow that we know. And it's like, oh, it's, it's like happiness and a delight and all this stuff. But get that out of your mind. God is saying, I put my bow in the sky. And he didn't say rainbow. He said, I put my weapon of warfare in the sky. I put a bow that archers hunt with and kill with as a sign to you in the sky. In the clouds, verse 14, And when I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all the flesh. Now, scholars theorize that if the hydrosphere was removed, now you have direct rays of sunlight coming into the atmosphere, hitting the new form of watering, which would be rain, and creating something new. It's, this could be perhaps the first time rainbows were actually seen on earth after the hydrosphere collapsed on the earth. Verse 16, when the bow is in the clouds, I will set it, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant I made between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Now, this is a very significant covenant. As you look throughout Scripture, there are uh, several covenants that are like key covenants. And what these covenants do is they are progressively painting the picture of God's redemption story. We've already seen one covenant, right? Back in, back in the Garden of Eden, I alluded to it earlier about sin and death, but there would also be a coming Savior, born of the seed of the woman. That's known as the Adamic Covenant or the Edenic Covenant, just the covenant that was made in Eden. 
uh, to Adam. And it was a declaration that where sin was, death would enter in. Uh, and the signs that were given were the, were the consequences of sin, of the curse. And among those signs given, so similar to the rainbow was a sign, among the signs given at the first covenant were death itself and pain in childbearing. So every time someone would die, would be a, it would be a sign of, of that first uh, covenant in the Garden of Eden. Every time a woman had pain in childbearing and had birth pangs, it would be a sign. And these signs would point to the coming Savior, the one born of the seed of woman who would taste death and who would overcome the grave and hell. And of course, the cool thing about each covenant that's given throughout Scripture is they all point to Jesus and they are all fulfilled by Jesus. And Jesus fulfilled that. Jesus being born not of the seed of man, but of the seed of woman, which is, was an unusual term. You wouldn't say the seed of woman. But Jesus was born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit. Jesus tasted sin on the cross and He defeated death at the cross. This is the second covenant, uh, significant, significant covenant that we see in the Noahic covenant. And this covenant is a promise for God to never again destroy the earth by flood. What's sweet about this covenant is it's a, it's a covenant of mercy. He's not saying that you, the earth will never deserve to be destroyed again because it probably didn't take long for everyone to, to become entrenched in sin again, unfortunately. But... He's saying that I will not again destroy the earth like I did before. What he's promising here is, is the promise of forbearance. The promise that he would overlook sin and withhold judgment for a season until what? Until the Savior would fulfill these promises. You see, the cool thing about the rainbow, this, this weapon in the clouds, as it's been noted by scholars, is it's it's pointed toward heaven. And so, what Jesus, when He came to fulfill this, He essentially stepped in front of the arrow of God's wrath. And the rainbow tells us that the wrath of God would be felt by the Son of God, who is from heaven. So Jesus, stepping in front of this, um, this judgment of God, took it upon Himself so that we would not have to experience it. Jesus fulfills what the rainbow points to. And the covenants to come would be uh, the, the Abrahamic covenant with Abraham and his descendants, um, the Mosaic covenant, as I've mentioned, the Davidic covenant, which was specifically to the line of David, that the Messiah would come through the line of David. And then, of course, the covenant you and I live in right now, the new covenant. These are all included. You guys are super privileged to be a part of the new covenant. You guys are in the chapter of the Bible that has fulfilled all other chapters. You are so privileged to be able to open your Bible and read about the life of the one who fulfilled all of the Old Testament. Like, how, how blessed are we to be able to know Jesus? It's amazing. Verse 18. The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan, which is significant in a moment here. These three were the sons of Noah. And from these, the people of the whole earth were dispersed. So that confirms, guys, that we, as the human race, contrary to popular belief, we are not a bunch of different races who have evolved at different speeds. That's unbiblical and untrue and is evil. 
There's no way to really fit the evolutionary process into what the Bible teaches. We are one race. We are one family. We, have, we all have the same great, 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 great grandpa, Noah. And we all came from Shem, Ham, or Japheth as they populated. Next time we get into it, in chapter 10, we'll look at the table of nations and how that actually took place. It'll be interesting. Verse 20. Noah began to be a man of the soil. And he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. So after spending a hundred years as a carpenter, Noah takes up a new trade. He's like, I'm done working with hammers and wood and saws. I'm going to start working with the land. And he starts pouring into farming. He starts uh, uh, making, um, among all the things he planted in, in, uh, in agriculture, he started making vineyards. And from the vineyards he made juice, which fermented. Some try to argue maybe Noah didn't know. Maybe fermentation was also a, a new part of, of the, the process in the new world. Maybe not. It seemed like Noah knew what he was doing, right? He, he planted the grapes. He juiced the grapes. He let them sit around and ferment. Then he gets drunk and he lays naked in his tent. And this is the first time in the Bible that alcohol is actually mentioned in Scripture. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the first time it's mentioned, it's accompanied by drunkenness, nakedness, and shame. The majority of people have a hard time not letting it lead to drunkenness and nakedness and shame. But we see that Noah, he was a faithful man of God. He worked hard and sacrificed to follow God, right, for 100 years, 120 years. And I wonder if he, after the flood, didn't get a little comfortable You know what I mean? Like, his hard work was done. Like, his moment of glory has passed. He's slain his dragons. And then he he settles into that retirement life. And he gets a little comfortable here. I wonder if that was taking place in his heart. So of, of the things that we could learn from this account, one of the things that I felt God speaking to me was just a reminder that our race is never finished, not until you're dead. Not until you've gone into glory is your race done. Is God actually done with you? In fact, many of the heroes of the faith in the scriptures struggled with this same thing. Oh man, the the better days are behind them. They've slain their dragons. God's used them to do amazing things in their past. Now they can just take it easy. You look at Abraham. When he slept with Hagar, he he was advanced in years. When Moses failed, he was in the desert having led the people seeing the face of God, speaking with God. Or I should say seeing the, glo- the, the trail of God's glory and speaking with God. Yet he still let his temper get the best of him later on in life when he should have been maturing and growing. David sinned later on in life. Gideon sinned at the end of his life. Various kings who lived holy lives, who honored God, end up sinning. At, Uzziah is one of them. Ended up sinning at the end of their lives. We need to be very careful not to get comfortable Philippians chapter 3, Paul tells us that we are to forget the things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead. He says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And that's the role model. And, and Paul finished his race well. Paul went hard until the end, until uh, he eventually was beheaded in Rome, according to history. And we need to be careful that we don't look back uh, maybe some of the cool things God has done. Oh, yeah, I remember when I first got saved, I was so on fire. Yeah, that's how I know I'm right with God today. 
because of this thing that God did back in my past. No, God wants you today. He wants all of you today. He wants you all in today. There's nothing that you've done in the past that causes you to have arrived. We never can retire as Christians. There's, there's a time to take off your boots, but someone else is going to do it because it needs to be when you're dead. We never, as Christians, we never take off our boots. We're always in the saddle till the day that we die. Isla Wee is a lady that goes to our church here. She's an amazing woman. Her and her husband, Will, started this ministry when they retired uh, called Garments of Praise where they started going to Kenya, Africa. And they started training women how to sew. And, and they taught them this trade so they could make money. It turned into an orphanage. And now there's a, a, a learning center that they're building. And it's just amazing. From one lady, and I love what she said. She said, when we retired... We wanted to take it easy, but the Lord said, you're not going to retire. You're just going to get, you just need new tires, was her, was her phrase. And she just got busy. She got to work for the Lord. She didn't slow down. And she has done so much in the last 15, 20 years in her old age. God has used her in such amazing ways. And she's a great example. Verse 22. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside, now, the original language, when it says he told them, it carries the idea that he expressed with delight. Like, Ham was like, guys, you're not going to believe what I just saw. It's hilarious. Come here. You want to see this. You guys got to see this. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backwards, and they did not see their father's nakedness. So they were trying to respect their dad and, and, and preserve his dignity. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants shall be to his, he shall be to his brothers. Some scholars believe that when it says his youngest son, that, that term could also mean grandson, which Canaan was the son of Ham, as we already know. But what exactly is happening here? If some believe that there was some sort of sexual sin that took place that perhaps Ham or Canaan uh, violated Noah when he was drunk in some way. Uh, and I, I'll say that's possible, but I really think at the end of the day, that's just speculation. You really have to read into the text. But just ta- let's just take this at face value. What can we pull out of the text here that is very clear? Well, I think it's very clear that the sin of Ham here was that he had no concern for his father's dignity, right? He was even willing to expose and exploit his dad's shame. Here is his dad in a moment of sin, a moment of weakness, uh, you know, being stupid, being drunk. And Ham, Ham wants everyone to know it. And it's revealing Ham's heart. And I don't think it's a stretch, given that Noah turns around and curses Canaan, that Canaan was actually directly involved. Perhaps Canaan was there with Ham, laughing, joining in at the mocking and pointing. But this would explain why Noah's curse was upon Ham, uh, not upon Ham's descendants, but specifically upon Canaan and Canaan's descendants. I think we miss the fact that it's merciful for for Noah to turn around and profess what will happen to Canaan's line because of this behavior. He doesn't turn around and curse Ham. And I want to point that out. Because a lot of messed up doctrines have come, racist doctrines have come from Ham being cursed. Uh, we'll later find out that 
Ham is the father, uh, a lot of the descendants of Ham uh, populated Africa. And so there's a lot of racist doctrines that have come out saying, well, it's the curse of Ham, and that explains why, you know, the transatlantic slave trade happened and all this nonsense. But that's not the case. Ham wasn't cursed. Ham wasn't blessed either. But Noah curses specifically Canaan. And Canaan, who is he? He's the father of the Canaanites, who we see throughout the Scriptures, this, this wicked, horrible people group that God eventually does judge. But 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, it tells us, Above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Ham was not loving. Ham didn't, Ham didn't care for Noah. And it was made evident. Love covers sins. What does that, what does that mean to cover sins? Uh, Chuck Swindoll, I don't know if you ever listened to Charles Swindoll. He's an amazing, amazing speaker. He tells this true story of a, of a little boy in class who had a problem with wetting himself, as it can happen with, with young kids. And he was having a good week, and at the end of that week, all of a sudden he finds himself sitting in a puddle, right? His pants are soaked. It's dripped down the chair. It's puddling on the floor. And this kid is terrified, and he's feeling ashamed. And he's, he's terrified the teacher's going to walk by. A little girl a few rows back sees what's happening, and she gets up. She goes over and she grabs the classroom fish goldfish bowl and walks by the kid and trips and dumps it all over the kid. And the teacher was furious. The teacher grabbed her and, and briskly walked her to the principal's office. She got in so much trouble. A day or two later, when the little girl came back to school, the boy said, did you do that on purpose? And she said, yeah. She says, I know what it's like. I used to wet my pants. I know, I know what that's like. That is an example of covering someone's sin and shame. She was loving that little boy, right? There's a, there's a hymn from the 60s that says, we will work with each other. We will work side by side. We'll guard each man's dignity and we'll save each man's pride. And they'll know we are Christians by our love. That's what love looks like. That's what it looks like to cover someone's sins. You don't delight in their iniquity. You don't rejoice in it. You don't um, talk about it so it makes you feel better about yourself. Ham did not have this love. Canaan did not have this love for Noah. And that was the path that they were on, a cursed path. One more illustration to, to explain what it looks like to cover love. I was, again, I was an EMT for a little while. And as an EMT, uh, EMT basic... You can do very little to treat somebody. EMT paramedics can do a lot for you. But someone like me in the field, just a basic EMT, my skills didn't really come in. Like I didn't get busy and go to work until you stopped breathing or your heart stopped. Then I could go to town, right? CPR all day long. I could do that. But otherwise, I was just a glorified taxi cab driver. Give you a Band-Aid. I could give you a little tube of glucose if your sugar was low. You know what I mean? Like EMT basics, they don't let you do a whole lot. Here, So if I were to pull up on the scene and you had this horrific accident and you had this huge laceration, a huge cut, gash in your leg, let's say, there, wasn't, there wouldn't be much I could do for you except clean it up a little bit and cover it up. And what I would do is I would get you to the ER, to the people who could do something about it. I would get you to the doctors and nurses in the ER where they could treat you. They could put in sutures and, and really do a deep cleaning. 
And that's kind of what it looks like for us Christians as we cover one another's sins. You happen upon somebody in sin, a brother or sister in the Lord. You find out about their sin. You, you do what the EMT does. You cover that sin. You're not trying to hide it, right? If we try to hide somebody's laceration and just say, go home, I won't tell anybody. That thing festers and gets infected and it's horrible. That's not what covering sin is looking like. We treat it, we help clean it, we cover it, and we take them to the one who can heal it. We take them to Jesus. That's what it looks like to cover sins. And again, Ham and Canaan did not have this heart for, for their father. Verse 26, as we wrap this up. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. And after the flood, Noah lived 350 years, and all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. So Noah curses Canaan. He has nothing to say about Ham. But then he blesses Shem. Shem would be the the godly line, the godly heritage, the line of Seth, the promised line through which the Messiah would come. And guess what? Shem was the second born. So one more instance of seeing that in the Scriptures. Japheth would receive a special blessing that they would be enlarged. We'll find out next week that Japheth is the father of all, pretty much all of the Gentile nations, or the majority of Gentile nations. Japheth is a huge part of, of the world population today. And then it says Noah lived 350 more years post-flood. We talked a little bit about the, the tablet theory and the fact that each Line who would carry the truth of God's word about creation, about what happened to Adam and Eve in the garden, they not only perhaps had a tablet written down of this, these accounts, but they could verbalize as eyewitnesses having lived so long, right? We've mentioned that. So Adam would have been able to talk to, uh, I forget how far along Adam lived, just before Noah, I think. But Noah lives almost to the time of Abraham. That's something we don't think of. Some scholars think he did live uh, in overlap with Abraham, but Terah, Abraham's father, would have for sure been able to talk to Noah himself. Isn't that crazy? They would have had the accounts preserved for them, accurate. The reason why I'm closing with this is because I want you guys to know that the Bible is trustworthy. This is not the byproduct of one crazy man sticking his head in a hat and seeing visions. This is not the byproduct of, uh, of invention, of someone super creative. This is the byproduct of thousands and thousands of years of various men of God being filled with the Holy Spirit, anointed to write what they're supposed to write. And it has been preserved for you. So the things we learn about diet, the things we learn about ju- justice and capital punishment and all these things, they're not my opinion. They are not inventions of man. This is the Word of God. And don't take that lightly. And whenever you come across an issue in the Word of God where your opinion differs from what the Bible is teaching you, I'd say you forfeit your opinion and and go with God's Word. This has lasted the test of time. And not only that, but God has given it to you to benefit you. He's preserved it because He loves you. Amen? Let's pray. And Father, we acknowledge the demonstration of Your love by the preservation of the Word of God. We acknowledge Your love by the preservation of humanity. 
Lord, you had this plan from the very beginning that through Noah's family, you'd repopulate, you would multiply on the earth, Lord, because your desire is to multiply the population of heaven. And so as you command them to be fruitful and multiply, I pray, God, that by your Holy Spirit, we as Christians, we would be fruitful as well. And we would multiply spiritually. That we would bear fruit uh, worthy of repentance. That we would bear fruit and walk worthy of the gospel. And that as we obey your word, Lord God, as we live it, as we love it, that you would multiply disciples through us. That you would make more disciples through us, God. That the truth of Christ would spread and salvation would spread through us. Just as much as Shemham and Japheth were able to multiply on the earth, may we multiply as your church and, and see this world around us saved, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.